When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I turned 19 years sober this week and I was figuring out like, how do I want to kind of have a conversation around having 19 years sober? You know, in the recovery world, our recovery birthdays are more important than what we call our belly button birthdays because our recovery birthdays, we have a choice, our belly button birthdays, you know, we couldn't kind of help when we ended up in this world. I ended up in this world, you know, obviously from coming out of my mom's womb. And I think I was a bit of a terror growing up. And my dad and mom were married and, you know, they eventually got divorced um, before I got sober. And since they've been divorced, you know, they probably have only spoken to each other two to three times and maybe seen each other at my brother's wedding. And I've never had a conversation with them about my addiction. We've talked about my recovery and how proud they are, but never have had a conversation around kind of what it was like. And I'm going to have both of my parents join me today. I wasn't sure if they would be on board with this. Um, I asked my mom for about a year to come on the podcast, and she was like, no, you know, I have stuff going on, not right now. And then I let her know that I wanted to have a conversation around being 19 years sober, and I would have my dad joining, and she said, sure. And my dad said, sure. And I called my producer, Stephanie, and we that's what we're doing with this episode is um, Stephanie, who's the producer of Always Evolving This Podcast, reached out to my parents, who will be joining us for this episode, and we'll see where we end up. Um, you know, sometimes when we're so close to something, we don't remember things, and we also just don't have a certain outlook. And so I thought it'd be really helpful to get the outlook from my parents. And it's a little bit awkward because they don't really talk to each other. They get along, but they never talk to each other. And we've certainly never had this discussion around my addiction and my issues. So Stephanie, thanks for helping pull this all together. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I've been thinking about this show a lot and I have to say, I'm a little nervous about this show. I mean, I, I, I understand what you're saying. And also the fact that your parents have not really talked about this. And this is a conversation that you guys haven't really had yet. I don't know. I feel like it's pretty. Yeah. And you and you were saying, you know, you just started working with me as a producer on this uh, yeah. podcast. And you're like, how deep do we want to go? I also don't want to do anything that's going to upset you, Mike. And it's interesting because all sorts of different feelings and thoughts come up when it's our own family. And so I, I, I'm i a little bit like, I don't know where this is going to end up, but I felt like this would be helpful because, um, for one, I've never heard, I've never talked about my addiction with my parents, really. That's so interesting. Why, why do you think? Why do you think you haven't had that conversation? I think there's probably pain in it i imagine that i don't know maybe my parents would feel shame like they did something wrong um i'm not sure what to disclose or not disclose uh i don't know what's what's too much information and then also i think sometimes when somebody's doing well you almost kind of like don't want to jinx it and you kind of just want to act like it's in the past you know we all don't love going back to painful moments um, and maybe there's pain there. So, and also they, they, when I, when I got sober at 22 years old and I reached out to them and told them that I needed help, 
they were divorced. They'd been divorced for three or four years. So um, it just felt kind of awkward having a conversation over coffee. Like, hey, mom, uh, what do you think about the times I stayed up for a week doing meth? It's not really coffee conversation, I guess. No, no. So, so they're in the waiting room right now, right? Yeah. And, uh, so they're in the waiting room, and I just, you know, wanted to give you a minute to like kind of process what's about to happen. And you know, when I spoke to both of them, they were, you know, they were really up for having this conversation. I wasn't sure what their reaction would be and whether. You know, it's it's pretty exposing. So I I felt protective of all of you, and um, but they 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 are really proud of you, and they and they're willing mm. to kind of have a really honest conversation. So and and you know, I think part of my <laughs> it's so ridiculous, but I can already hear one of my parents being like, Michael, I didn't like when you said that, or you said I already like feel it. You know, like that I'm going to say something that somehow upsets one of them or I don't know. Did I give one parent more attention and me even saying that now they were they would be upset with me for that? You know, it's it's almost like we revert back in some ways when especially when we have both parents who haven't parented me, uh, you know, since I was 19 years old. So, yeah, I really get that. I really hear you. All right. So are you ready? Do you feel like you're and you're going to facilitate this, right? Like you're going to ask questions and run it. Do I just show up as um, uh, a family member? I guess so. Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of <laughs> I, I'll facilitate. I'll ask questions and we'll see. We'll give you a chance to share your story and give your parents a chance to share from their perspective what they felt was going on and any thoughts and feelings they have. So, uh my parents are about to come in, uh, but before we get to having a discussion, I first want you to know about this. This is my prediction of this podcast episode. I could be off, right? Like I, I'm just being ridiculous, but my mom's gonna apologize because she couldn't figure out the technical difficulties. Um, my Dad, I, I mean, whatever. Let's just get into it. I don't even okay. want to predict. <laughs> All right. I feel like you're nervous. Are you nervous? You look a little nervous. It's just weird. It's like I'm celebrating 19 years sober, but then I'm talking to my parents about my addiction. And then like, it's awkward because they don't even talk to each other. And then they're both like excited for it, which is unusual. Um, so I'm like, am I... Did they talk to each other beforehand finally? Or like, what's going on? Yeah. Well, let's find out. Let's yeah. find out. All right. So let's bring them on. Jackson is our sound engineer. Can you can you bring in Ina and Ron for us? Ina and Ron. Hi. Hello. How are you? Good. That's my mom, Ina Bear. She has joined us. And I think my dad is now joining. Okay. Hello, dad. Hi, Mike. Uh, nice to see you. you're dressed uh, like you're about to go back to the law firm today. So thank you for dressing up for us. Well, I, I just I wanted to look my best. And I, I if you saw what I had on this morning, it wouldn't have been appropriate. Gotcha. Well, I will also add that your dad purchased that headset specifically for this show so he could sound his best. Well, my dad prepares very well, and so I would assume that the details he he hasn't figured out. Well, you're 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 going to get the bill for fourteen dollars and ninety five cents. Mom, are you sure you want to hold the phone in front of you? If you put it on something for forty five minutes of holding the phone, you're going to shake a lot. It's going to be well. I actually am bracing it on my knee because I have a bratty dog next to me that I put outside. And it continued to bark. So I'm holding her and itching her with one arm, holding the phone with the other arm, and I'm perfectly fine. Okay, great. Thank you so much. <laughs> so how is it for um, all of you to be together in this way? It's a wonderful occasion that we're celebrating. Right. It, it, right. How? Let me ask you, because I, for me, I was a little like, oh, this, the last time you guys were together was David's wedding. Correct. And then prior to that, 
you guys, it's not like you guys call each other every year. Yep. No, but I, I do ask your sister how your dad's doing, how Linda's doing. Yeah. And, and, and the reason I say that is I'm so happy that both of you are joining me on celebrating my 19 years sober, right? Like that's fantastic. And since I've been sober, besides David's wedding, this is the first time the three of us have ever connected in the last 20 plus years. Were, were you yeah. Were you not at your sister's wedding? I don't. Yeah, that's right. Oh, shit. Katie got married. All right. So twice in 20 years. But that what I'm saying is we've never had our time. David had a wedding. Katie had a wedding. I feel like for me, I don't have a wedding plan. This is like my moment. I'm waiting for your wedding. May have to wait a long time. <laughs> no, I'm I'm trying to find somebody. Okay. Well, mom, mom said called me the other day and told me that the guy at Starbucks she thought <laughs> was really cute and that he was she didn't know if he was gay or straight, and she didn't know if she would offend him by giving him my uh my information. I said, Mom, who cares? Like, you know. Well, next time I see Robbie, I'll tell him. Yeah, let Robbie let Robbie know. I'm in Los Angeles and uh I love a quad vente soy latte with two pump sugar free vanilla. So this is we'll perfect. pass it on. Yes. <laughs> Great. All right. So let's let's move on. So the a lot of what we wanted to talk about today, Mike, or what you wanted to talk about was really sharing your story and getting your parents' perspective on kind of how it was for them, what their what they knew, what their thoughts and feelings were. So let's so let's start with Mike, where where do you think your story of addiction starts? Well, I think that uh, my story of addiction starts when the kids in the neighborhood uh, would drink and steal their parents' liquor. And I remember that my family never really used the bar that we had. We had a bar with all these like very unusual liquors. And um, I remember that I would like take the liquor out, refill it with water and uh, go with my friends and drink. And I also, when I was hanging out with my friends drinking, uh, I had heard from them that there was an herb that you could smoke. So I would go into my mom's, uh, you know, uh, what is it? The ingredients, you know, like all the, what do you call that one? Spices. Spices. And I, I smoked some of the spices because I thought that was going to get me high. So I think that kind of was like the, the initial like interest and in just like feeling different, you know, feeling, uh, searching for something that could, uh, make me feel better. Mm. I know that looked like it was a shock to you. It was. I had no idea. I mean, Ron would have his occasional scotch on the rocks and I'd have my occasional gin on the tonic, but I never realized that uh, uh, he was emptying bottles of liquor. Never realized that. I'm really surprised. Mm. So, Mike, what were you trying to feel different from? Do you know? I don't know. Cause at the time I didn't even, I just thought it was cool. Like, I just thought like, Oh, this is exciting. And it feels like I'm doing something a little wrong. And I don't know. I got an adrenaline rush out of like doing stuff that wasn't stuff I should be doing. I just literally got like really excited about, listening to certain types of music that wouldn't be Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton. Like my parents would love it if I loved Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers Christmas, which I still really like, but like I would be getting into like different types of music. And, you know, I think that I just at the time just thought it was exciting. It made mm. life more exciting. So when would you say, when we talked, it sounded like your addiction or your use really ramped up when you were in high school? Uh, yeah, my addiction took off, I guess, in, uh, I would say in high school, like eighth grade, like the, I repeated school twice. Um, and the second time I was in eighth grade is when I really started smoking a lot of weed. And then freshman year, 
uh, I was such an old senior. I was 16 years old and I um, had a car, white beauty, a Mercury Sable. And uh, which by the time I was done with that car had cigarette holes all over it. Um, but I love that car. But I started going to raves and doing ketamine and ecstasy and acid and um, and I think by the first by the first few times I smoked weed, I mean that was literally uh, I got more excited to smoke weed than I did to you know play sports. What? Um, let me ask Ron, your dad. What kind of kid was Mike in high school? Um. He was uh, pretty independent, I would say, because he he was older. Uh, he was, uh, you know, I'm I'm going to say when Mike was in high school, uh, I wasn't around all the time. So, uh, you know, I might have projected what kind of uh, kid Mike was. I, I, he was very athletic. He was very popular with everybody. I'll say that for him. Um, you know, he, he was a good kid. I mean, I, I, I remember uh, so many of his friends' parents uh, telling me how wonderful he is, how polite he is, how they just think he's such a great influence on their own kids. And I mean, part of me is going, are we talking about the same person? <laughs> because Mike, Mike was difficult. Um, and you know, he was, he was independent, um, and, and older. So I, I, I think that created a little bit of its own challenge. Mm. I know. What about you? What would you say? Do you, do you have a similar kind of view of Mike in high school as Ron does? Is it a little different? Uh, no, it's, uh, actually very similar. Um, but I might add that Michael always pushed the limits, even as uh, as a little guy. I mean, as a five year old, uh, he crossed the main boulevard with another little guy in the street on our street. He was about four years old. And I thought the other mother was watching him. And he, he crossed the whole boulevard. And I said, Michael, how could you do that? Something could happen to you. And he said, well, we held hands. I mean, he, he just he was constantly pushing boundaries. And um, he, um, but on the other hand, he uh, was the most loving of my three kids. The other two are very loving also, but Michael was like an appendage in my side. If he sat there watching TV or talking, it was like uh, we were one. Um, he was always loving. And I think that's why he was able to manipulate both of us so well. Um, <laughs> he had a sense of humor. Uh, and um, we just were oblivious, I think, uh, mm. to a, a lot. And it wasn't because we weren't paying attention. It was, uh, you know, how could this happen? Ron was hardworking, good father. Uh, I was a stay-at-home mom. How could this possibly happen? And, um, so it was, it was a surprise. Uh, and also, I think, as I mentioned to you yesterday, he had some other friends other than his basketball friends who um, I hadn't seen before. And it was just a small group and they listened to electronic music. Uh, I don't know if that's what it was called, but I think it was rave music. And I think those are the people that he started going to raves with. I'm not sure, but I think so. And uh, so anyway, I just remember Michael is always pushing limits. The only reason he was older is because Ron and I both felt that he had um, uh, certainly the talent to uh, really excel at basketball. And um, uh, we were encouraged by like a sixth grade coach uh, of his little traveling team that holding back because then he'll excel. And I think Michael always felt that uh, maybe it was academically. It wasn't academics. It was not at all. Michael was very bright. Um, he did uh, was diagnosed with ADD, ADHD, but that is because he asked to be uh, tested. Um, uh, so uh, he was extremely bright and very good at manipulation. So what is that like for you, Mike, to hear all of that? Uh, yeah, so 
First of all, I mean, as we do this too, you both were great parents. I ended up in who I am today. So thank you very much. Um, I, I mean, look, I think I, because my parents were heading towards a divorce, I think as a, someone on their way to being a drug addict, I use that to my advantage, you know, like because they weren't to both totally present and had their own stuff going on. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, look, I, I, I think it, sure, I got held back, uh, because there was this idea of, uh, athletics and how I could do, but if my grades were phenomenal, I don't think I would have been held back. Um, you know, like I think that, um, and I also think that sometimes this idea of like, okay, who's your identity as a kid? So like maybe part of my identity was like, okay, I'm going to be a really good basketball player. And I was, um, and that was kind of the vision for being held back. Um, but that's certainly for me deep down, I was kind of like, well, I don't really get good, good, good grades. Um, the other students study less than me and will get better grades. So something's just not adding up for me. But regardless, I got held back and I, that was my introduction into private school for the first time. And in private school, you realize that, especially when there's a religion involved, that there are uh, principles of private schools with religion. And coupled with the fact that I was um, coming into my own sexuality of, you know, uh, do I like women or I thought I liked women. Um, but I ended up realizing that I was into men, uh, coupled with going to a private religious school, um, kind of, I think, accelerated uh, my addiction uh, because there really was nowhere for me to get uh, this idea that uh, these feelings that I had and who I was was okay. Um, you know, that we didn't have the messaging that exists today and the sensitivities. So I didn't really have an outlet to even realize what I was going through. Um, and I think that uh, that probably accelerated everything. Ron, how is it for you to hear Mike talk about this? Do you have any thoughts? Did you know that that Mike that Mike was gay? Did you have any sense? Well, I I uh, I had a little bit of a sense because of the internet, right? Yes, I didn't know that. I didn't. Know, by the way, this story, I didn't know that people could go back and look at the search history. So during this period of time, it was horrifying. I literally would look up like. You know, I, back then it was like Marky Mark was hot. And then also there's all these sexual websites. It was my introduction to it. My dad saw it all and has a sit down conversation with me about it. And I'm, I completely denied it. But that was your first idea that maybe I was a, a gay person. Yes. And, you know, I, I, uh, uh, I, I wanted to believe you. Uh, I mean, times have changed. That was over 20 years ago. And uh, Mike finally did come out to us on the night he graduated from high school. Yeah. yeah. And that night for me, uh, because I really wasn't prepared to hear that. I mean, you know, we all have a vision for our children and my vision today would be much different than it was 20 years ago, but 20 years ago, my, you know, my, my vision uh, was that my kids were going to kind of follow in, you know, the footsteps of their parents and their grandparents and their great grandparents before them. Uh, some of whom were probably gay, but nobody knew about it because no one talked about it back in those days. And so that was, it was very difficult for me to accept. Uh, not, not that I didn't accept Mike a hundred percent, but I really went through a, a very, um, a, a why me moment until I realized it really isn't about me. And what I was really concerned about is how is that going to affect Mike's uh, growth and evolution and life? Because it, it you know, there were, uh, uh, it, it, it wasn't then and today, not, not perfect for a lot of people. 
but I got good advice. I got, I got good advice from, you know, a few people who told me you, you know, um, the best thing you can do is tell your son, you love him and mean it. Mm. And that was really, that was great advice for me. And, uh, I, I think Mike would probably agree that that's what I've shown him over the years. And cause I, cause that is how I feel. Uh, the, uh, the drug use, uh, you know, I, I knew that was, uh, an issue, but it really didn't become a major, major issue in my opinion until he went off to college. Yeah. I know. How about you for you? Like, like Ron spoke very honestly about how he reacted when Mike told you that night that he was gay. How was that for you? Well, that particular night, um, he wanted to uh, stay out. And uh, I said, everybody can come to our house, but no, you can't go wherever you want to go. And he got really angry at us. So he just blurted this out. Um, No. And it it was an, yes, you did. Mom, I went to, I went to Gay Pride Long Beach and you said there were, I left the house. This is why I remember. I remember I left the house. I went to my first gay pride ever. I said I went to Long Beach. I came home. You said, where were you? I said I was at a concert. You said there are no concerts in Long Beach. The only thing that was happening was gay pride. And that's when I said, yes, I was at gay pride. I'm gay. Well, unfortunately, I don't remember it that way. I thought that that was your father that was aware of that particular thing. Um, You know, I may be wrong. But I actually can say I was totally uh, shocked when you told us that night. And my initial reaction was, and at that time, people that were gay were not having families. My initial reaction was, oh, my God, I'm never going to have any little Michaels running around. I mean, I had this image of you marrying this really sweet girl, uh, athletic, um, becoming a, a basketball coach at high school, and then having these little tiny uh, minions running around that I could love. And uh, the little boys would look just like you. And I think that was what the shocker was that night to me. And I remember your father and I, after you left, talking. And I remember your dad just kept saying, it's a tough world. It's going to be real rough. He didn't say anything to the fact that, you know, he was embarrassed or anything like that. His concern was that it was going to be tough for you, a tough future. Hmm. And um, I just felt that my dream, my dream was shattered. There were no little mics. And uh, um, I, as, as time went on, you brought a lot of your gay friends home. Um, that's where I met Jocelyn. And uh, there were other kids that came. I remember being out by the pool by one kid whose dad was a minister in the Midwest and uh, didn't allow him to come home again. And it just really broke my heart because I don't think your dad or myself would ever would ever feel that way. Mm-hmm. And it's sad that, um, that there are kids that are completely separated from their families and not accepted. So anyway, that was that was my reaction. I was shocked. shocked. And by the way, your version, all your versions are probably more accurate than mine because I was so messed up on drugs that well, I maybe I was on an acid trip and I thought that's what happened. I, I yeah, well, your sister. I, I don't remember. Ahead, yeah, I, I don't. Re, you know, your mom and I have a slightly different recollection of that. I don't remember your leaving the house angry that night. Uh, I. Uh, and I don't remember the circumstances leading up to it, but I, I just remember, and maybe because I might have been expecting that to be the case anyway, but I, I thought it was uh, a uh, as common dis- uh, conversation it could be. And, and and I think my reaction was, are you sure? Yeah. Yeah. People sometimes have died. And even today, it's so funny. Some people I've been around there would be like, but yeah, look at her. And I'm like, yeah. And they'll be like, look, I mean, because I've never had sex with a woman. Um, and 
I've had friends who have, and some people go, well, maybe you like women because you haven't had sex with them. I'm like, yeah, but you haven't had sex with a dude and you know you're straight. Like, <laughs> how do you, well, you go have sex with a dude then? I'll go have sex with a girl, you have sex with a dude, and then we can come back. But like, it's, um, you're right, times have changed a lot and conversations are different and social media back then, you know, it was like Pedro from the real world who died of AIDS. You had RuPaul. And other than that, you had like village people that I heard were gay and I went to a concert and found out they were gay. But like other than that, it was like pretty, um, pretty small. And then going off to college, once I got to New York, I kind of was like, you know what? I don't want to play basketball. Um, I think basketball was the thing that kind of kept me from the structure, right? Structure is so helpful for anyone. And when you lose that structure uh, and you're realizing that you can, there's a whole new world out there. And in, in the gay world, drugs are prevalent. I mean, it's just, it's part of uh, the culture, but I can tell you it wasn't the culture. I was far beyond um, influence by that point because I was already doing so many drugs, you know? Mike, when did you know that you had a, a problem? Like, when did you get to the point where you said, this is, this is, not fun anymore. This is a problem. I think when I was like 20 or 21, when I started doing crystal meth and I would throw it away and I'd flush it down the toilet because I didn't like the person it had me become. And then I would go buy more the next day. So like, that's when I was like, something's off because I'm literally trying to stop and I can't stop. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. Like everyone just goes, just stop. And I remember there were moments where I would buy meth for $240. That's, and that was like, would last, you know, I mean, that was a lot of money that I could live off that for a week. And I didn't really have any other money, uh, saved up. I didn't have much of a job and, uh, I would spend that money. And then the next day I'd flush down probably $180 worth. And, um, it's a weird feeling when you can't stop doing something that you know is destroying your life. Hmm. It's interesting you say that too, because when I talked to your parents, both of them mentioned like sending you money, lots of money and not, and, and not really, you know, um, and they talked both of them about this idea of, of how manipulative you could be and how, right, Ron, you, you, we talked a little bit about that yesterday. You know, Mike, Mike was a great manipulator <laughs> and uh, I'm speaking for myself. I know I was a great enabler. Mike's first week at college, he'd been there one week and he called me up and he it was uh, cold out and he said, Dad, I, I need a new jacket. And I said, well, we just bought you a jacket for three, four hundred dollars, Mike. Uh, he said, well, I. I I left it in a restaurant and I came back and it was gone. Now I'm to this day, I, I believed it at the time, uh, but I gave him more money. He had an allowance of a thousand dollars a month and 10 days into the month it, that money would be gone. And I'd ask him, what are you doing? And I never thought he was spending that much on drugs. And then we got to a point where I'd give him $500 twice a month and $250 a week. And then like a hundred dollars every couple of days. And, you know, it, it, but I was still enabling him because, you know, I, I, I didn't really, I, you know, I probably knew there was more going to drugs than I'd like, but I, 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 I didn't want him starving. I didn't want him uh, taking greater risks because he didn't have the money. And I don't know what he would do, how desperate he would do. And I was des feeling desperate at the same time, trying to figure out how, how do I get him help? And that's another story. But, you know, I, I, obviously I wasn't very successful at doing that. I talked to a lot of people, but I, I felt like I had to keep feeding him a little bit because uh, I, I didn't know how desperate he would be or what he would do. Now, with hindsight, you know, that, that wasn't the way to do it. But that's all I knew. Mike, did you have a bottom no, I mean, I think there's always, um, since gaining in recovery, you realize like a bottom is just a moment of desperation. And in those moments of desperation, you ask for help, right? So like 
but I had a lot of those, like those moments of like, I can't do this. Why am I doing this? I think when I um, started like carrying a lot of meth through the airport and yeah. enough meth that would and have me in prison for many years. Um, and then kind of like my mom's smiling as I say this. <laughs> well, because I remember how insane that was that you took it on an airplane. That made me realize how crazy addicts are. Yeah. Well, it's a lot cheap. So in California, it would cost $60, but in New York, it would cost $240. And I couldn't manipulate dad anymore. So I thought, hey, why don't I just, um, you know, make a little money? And I had someone in LA who actually advanced it to me. I never paid them back because I ended up in treatment shortly after. Um, Sorry, drug dealer, whoever you are in the world. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think like when I realized that um, I would I would stay up for like five days, six days, a week at a time um, with no sleep. And when you crash on that, it's just it's a really terrible crash. And uh, the last few times I crashed, I realized, you know, and, and the paranoia was so bad Um I spray painted my place red. I don't know if you remember that, Dad. I, I remember it because we had to repaint it before we could rent it out again. <laughs> yeah, so I spray I thought I was possessed. And I thought there was a camera in the peephole to my door. And uh, it was pretty dark and crazy. And uh, so, like, I had, like, kind of, like, God moments. Like, where I felt like there was, like, some moments of clarity that came to be. And then in those moments... Uh, I realized that I I need to do something. I gotta I gotta get some help, and so I called my dad and said, uh, "I know someone who's stayed sober. Uh, here's a program he went to. Um, I need I need help." You know. And what what was that? What was kind of most helpful to you in your recovery journey? Well, for one, it was super helpful that. My mom and dad helped pay for my treatment. I mean, you guys paying for my treatment um, was super helpful. And then um, I think being cut off financially besides like bare minimal expenses, like, you know, to become an alcohol and drug abuse counselor, like my dad helped me pay for some of the school, but I also got a scholarship where some money would help out a little bit. Um, you know, being kind of having to get a job, work in coffee shops, be a YMCA referee. Um, but for me, it's, it's about, um, it's really about being coachable by people that I trust their opinion and then going to any length to do what they're suggesting. And, um, and so like, that's really what it is. It's like, it's, it's the saying you either grow or go. And uh, I was like, I don't want to go back to what it was. You know, once you get a taste of spirit of sobriety, uh, you want to continue it. Um, and you hear the horror stories day in, day out about people who can't stay sober. They overdose, they die, brain damage, they end up in prison. They're in rehab after another. And I just I heard these stories and I was like, I don't want to be one of these stories. You know, and so let me follow through with the stories of the people who have not done that. So what did you what do you feel that you learned about yourself through your recovery? Like why you were using or. Yeah, I think I've learned. Um, um, I think I've learned. I mean, there's so many things I've learned in sobriety, but that like we're responsible for our own behaviors, um, that we have the ability to change how we look at the world. We have the ability to change how we treat ourselves. Um, I think that it's, uh, everything in my life has gotten better from being sober and staying sober. And, uh, you know, a lot of people may want to go back to drinking or smoking weed. I kind of look at it like I'm on life is so much better and clearer without it. Um, why risk falling back 
just to have a glass of Chardonnay. I mean, that just seems like really bizarre um, at this point. So today, um, so you're at 19 years, which is a really big deal. What, um, I know, what, what would you like to say to Mike on about 19 years? Like you've kind of heard him talk about what it was like for him and you've reflected on what it was like for you. Um, I couldn't be, uh, more proud of the man that he's become and the hurdles that he's overcome. Um, there are hurdles that a lot of people don't tackle. Uh, I have hurdles in my own life I haven't tackled. And he seems to um, look at each day as a, a new beginning. Uh, he doesn't go backwards. And um, the glass is always at least half full if not full and um he really encourages the people around him uh he doesn't put up with crap uh he knows when people are lying to him um i remember him telling me that uh uh at one point when he'd go to a meeting he would take someone with him because if he got annoyed he could just walk out because the office, the person from the office would be there to listen. And uh, I think it's great that he knows his limitations. And um, I'm just so proud of him. So few people are able to overcome the addiction that he had. And having gone through the parent program at Hazleton when he was there, realizing it's a family pro uh, problem. I never was aware of that before. And uh, also going to Al-Anon, that um, there are cases that are just horrible. And um, uh, all this has, I think, helped our entire family. Um, and I'm just really proud of him. Um, I know that his future is great. And um, I would like to have a little Michael someday, though. <laughs> so, but anyway, I'm, I love him dearly. And um, I just miss him. I don't see him enough. And congratulations, Sonny. Thanks. Yeah, I haven't seen you guys since COVID hit. So I've been able, I've not been able to visit either one of you guys. I don't think you guys are like up for having visitors either. It feels like. I think we're stricter than what you are. <laughs> you know, we've yeah. had our chats. <laughs> what about you, Ron? Anything you'd like to say? You know, I, I, uh, I, I my, my relationship with Mike over the past 20 years, I, I've learned a lot. Uh, some, some things small, some things larger. Uh, when, when Mike uh, decided he wanted to start his business that became Cast Centers, he had a really good job and he was making a very good income. And he came to me and, and he said uh, he's going to quit his job and start his own company. He's got a... Uh, one employee who's going to work for him, who's a recovering addict. And I remember Mike said something to me like, you don't want to meet him, but <laughs> that's who I got working for me. And I was concerned about that. And I said, Mike, you, you got a good job. You're making good money. And what he said to me was, what's the worst that can happen? I said, well, what do you mean? He said, the worst that can happen is I fail. Now just start over again. And that was never an option for me that I or my children could fail at anything. But th that was kind of the first time I thought, wow, he has a, a wisdom there that, that, that I didn't have and I didn't recognize, but I realized how valuable it was. And there have been things like that that have happened over the years. But just like his mom, I mean, I've been saying for a long time to Mike after, you know, he got sober, he started his business, how proud I am, what he's accomplished. and. At one point, Mike said, Dad, you were saying that, but it isn't that big of a deal. You know, I'm just running a nice little business. I said, right. But most people start from here. And I said, you started from way down here. So you had to climb way up to even 
be on an equal footing with people who haven't had this problem. So for you to accomplish what you've accomplished with your with your with your life, with your business, with your your personal relationships, it, it was much harder and a bigger challenge than most of us face. And for me to see that, but for him to take it as, yeah, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. Um, it taught, he has taught me a few things. I mean, I, he knows this cause I, I probably tell it to him more often than I should, but it doesn't go to his head. And just like his mom, I'm very proud of him. I mean, it, I never would have imagined if I were picturing where Mike would be today, that he would be the person he is, the personality that he is. Uh, it just, it just wasn't, it wasn't anything I think that any of us saw. So he took a bad situation and he didn't just get sober. He turned his life into something special. Wow. How is it for you to hear that, Mike? Well, I mean, my parents are very complimentary, especially, you know, these days. And I appreciate and love you both. And, um, uh, yeah, it, if it feels good and it's a good reminder, you know, like, I forgot even some of it. It was like I did have a great job uh, as an interventionist and I was um, making well over six figures at a young age. And uh, I quit that job to start my own treatment center in my apartment um, and I couldn't afford office space. And my dad's been incredible wisdom and my mom has been a great supporter and you know, it's one day at a time, right? And we all just keep, we're all human and we all have to, we all have to stay humble and um, and also tough at the same time in order to kind of um, feel good, feel good about life. So, I mean, I appreciate you guys. It feels, feels good. You know, it feels um, like a wonderful way to celebrate being sober 19 years um, because we've never connected a ever like this and then in over 20 years and b um ever connected together even with me being sober and so having you guys um talking to me means a lot um i'm a product of the two of you uh getting it on so uh <laughs> thanks for doing that you know you gave me a life you know so let's end with like, there are so many people who listen to you, Mike, and who are fans of yours who are struggling with their own recovery. So let's just end with one takeaway for them. Um, from your perspective, Mike, as, a, as someone who's sober 19 years now, what would you say to somebody who's struggling with their own addiction? I think my greatest advice would be... Uh, Find someone that has what you want, but not from a material sense, from a how they can look at the world and how they respond to the world and get together with them. Ask them for help. You know, people want to help others and um, people often think like, okay, I need to go to treatment or I need to get a therapist, but sometimes it's just speaking to that person and following guidance. So I think it's like the willingness to follow someone else's guidance. I find it's a very rare thing, even for me, where I'll work with someone, I'll literally give them a roadmap where they don't even have to make decisions for a while. It's just trust this roadmap. Let's get through it. And a lot of people won't do it. So, um, you know, it's it's when someone offers you that help, get your ego out of the way and just be like, all right, I'm going to do it a different way, you know. Awesome. What about you, Ron? For somebody who has a family member or loved one struggling with addiction, what would be the one piece of advice you would give them? You know, I, I think the advice I'd give to someone struggling and that I'd give to the family members as well is to be completely honest with one another. You have to be honest and uh, it's easier said than done. And when, when, when Mike was uh, at his uh, lowest point, uh, he wasn't honest with us. Uh, then we probably weren't as direct with him in terms of communicating. If there's an issue to really try to get to the bottom of it, you know, uh, I think like a lot of parents, you know, I was an enabler. 
uh, Mike was a manipulator. And that's a very bad combination. And as a parent, sometimes you're afraid to really face up to the problem. You don't want to face up to it. You're, you want it to go away. And, um, you know, I, I think for a uh, person suffering from addiction, being honest with their family is a really good place to start because uh, th that to me is, is uh, just opens doors. Great. Thank you. And Ina, are you still with us? I'm with you, but I poked the wrong button, I guess. That's okay. What would, you, what would your piece of advice? We'll end with your piece of advice. Um, I think tough love is really important. Ron and I both were enablers. Uh, I think we were afraid to admit that um, our children would even uh, go that route. And... Um, I always tell people that I run into that if they either heard Mike, his podcast or Dr. Phil or my bragging about his books, um, I always tell them, really watch what your child's doing. Watch who they're running around with. Um, you know, we would tell Michael uh, at a certain point in high school, he'd have to be home at 11 o'clock. He would call at 11.15 and say he'd be home at 11.30. So he was always able to go out of the boundaries. And I think parents have to seek out professional help to learn how to deal with someone that is an addict. Um, the addict is not going to change unless they get, uh, they get desperate and uh, like Michael did, paranoia. And I just think you have to have that open line of communication. It's awfully tough with someone that's an addict because they're going to lie to you. And um, I wish that I would have seeked out I, I, uh, a professional or gone to Al-Anon to learn about this ahead of time. And uh, just love your child and try to keep that avenue open of communication. It's great. I'm just glad that we're alive to see the success that Michael has had. I think it's wonderful. I'm, I do too. And I'm planning on watching his success for at least another 35, 40 years. Well, thank you guys. Thank you so much. This was such, a, such an honest conversation. I really, I feel like you all really spoke from a place of, of real courage and vulnerability. So thank you all. Mike, I don't know if you want to say anything to close yeah, us thank, out. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, mom and dad. And thank you for putting egos aside and doing this today and showing up on short notice. Appreciate both of you. And if you like this podcast, make sure you download and subscribe to all future coach Mike podcasts here on always evolving. Uh, I really appreciate if you also rate the podcast. I also have my free empowerment group every Tuesday, 5 p.m. Pacific time. You can text me the word empowerment to 310-984-1858 or go to coachmikebear.com. And who knows, maybe you'll even see my parents in that group one of these days. So thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you, Stephanie, for doing this and keep it magical. And we'll talk soon. The Always Evolving with Coach Mike Bear podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as a replacement or substitution for any professional, medical, financial, legal, or other advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine or any other professional service. The use of any information provided during this podcast is at the listener's own risk. For medical or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician or other trained professionals.